Hello and welcome to Cherish and Army. We hope you're having a great start to the week. You enjoying international break? Probably not. We are live and interactive on YouTube and Twitter. You may be listening to this back on our podcast. So thank you to you guys for checking out the podcast. Do follow and rate us. And of course, on YouTube, we are on our way to 2,000 subscribers. Come on, help us on our journey. If we get there, I tell you what, we'll do some prize releases. We'll release some prizes. Okay, get us to 2,000 subscribers. We'll have some fun and smash the like on this video. This is your latest fan debate. We've got a few fans coming on here, different faces to what we normally have, to ask some different topics about AFC Bournemouth, leading up to what is a massive game at the weekend. Cherries in Focus is on Thursday. Tonight, you've got the interactive chat. The fans have got the topics. They're going to get 10 to 12 minutes to discuss it. Let's just have good conversations. Let's see who's currently joining us live on YouTube. Do let us know in the chat. So Chris Hubble, how are you? Hope you're having a good start to the week. Robin, thank you very much. Aaron Kay from Cherry's Red Army. And we've also got Mark Singleton, Roy Frampton, Ollie Windsor. Hope you're doing well. Omid, Mark Cole, thank you very much. Uh, we've got Kirsty Parker and we've also got Alan. Fantastic. So use the interactive chat. It's going to be split into two halves. We're going to have a first half and a second half. We're going to have fans on different halves. And I think we should get stuck into it because they've got topics that they want to discuss. And you're going to tell us your thoughts in the chat. Let's get them on. Good evening to... Oh, well, let's go straight to John Spark, who's next to me. He's a regular on Cherry's Red Army. You're my wingman tonight. How are you doing? Yes, I'm, I'm going to keep you company through the whole uh, whole show. Uh, thanks for having me on. I won't be on uh, Cherry's in Focus, so this will be my weekly appearance. Um, not including if I end up doing a watch along. So do please keep an eye on our socials for that. But thank you very much for having, uh, having me on. Yeah, we'll have to let you know about that on Thursday. Casper. First time catching a live. Fantastic. Do join us on our journey, Rob Toy, as well. Let's go to our first guest this evening, then, Morgan Scott. How are you? I tell you what, have you got a little fun fact about you and supporting AFC Bournemouth? Oh, now you put me on the spot. Um, Maybe a player you've met. Uh, Jefferson Lerma. I think he's one of the nicest players. I have ever met at the associated at the football club. So no, probably Jefferson Lerma. Fantastic. I uh, had a photo as well with Jefferson Lerma. Seen that one, Morgan. So thank you to, for joining us this evening. Simon K from Talking Cherries will tell you a little bit more about that, or he will later on. But how are you doing, Simon? A fun fact about you supporting the Cherries. I'm very well, thank you. Pleasure to be here and hello to everybody. Uh, I have one of the most random, endearing pieces of uh, memorabilia from the old stadium. Yeah. Yeah, I have, believe it or not, the toilet signs from the old main stand toilets signed by none other than Eddie Howe, Jermaine Defoe, Steve Fletcher and Wade Elliott. Nice. And where is it now? In a frame. Oh, with lots of other memorabilia and tickets. Fantastic. I was kind of hoping you say it was pointing to your toilet, but... Uh... <laughs> no, I kind of had to take the kind of option of somewhere where the sun wouldn't go on them and places like that. So it's on a non-sun-facing wall. So those signatures stick around for as long as possible. They're still good to this day. 
There you go. A good opening. So I think there's going to be some tough debates this evening. John, can you beat that? Any any fun facts about Bournemouth? Um, I should have been thinking while expecting you were going to come back to me, but uh, <laughs> you didn't warn me about this one, so I, I don't really have um, all that much. My my only random fact, I suppose, would be bumping into Steve Fletcher in my local one-stop uh, a good few years ago when they were still a thing that you saw around the place now and again. I And unfortunately, I was young, naive, and far too innocent to bother to actually ask him uh, hello and <laughs> say hi and ask for a picture, but I mean... My phone didn't even have pictures on it at the time, so that's how far back it was. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I've met Steve Fletcher in uh, Superstore on many of occasion and Sean McDonald as well. So I'll join that party. Absolutely right. Let's get on with the debate this evening. So as I said, each fan has brought a debate to the table, a topic to the table. About 10, 12 minutes, going to have discussions, go around the room, just see where we're at. AFC Bournemouth currently in the relegation zone, but maybe still a little bit of hope for this season. Simon, going to come straight to your topic then. Is our inability to balance attack and defence the ultimate problem? Elaborate, please, Simon. Yeah, so I've got some further points around this. Uh, having obviously watched most of our performances, in fact, all of them, not all the away games. Uh, every game, there's been something on the whole, apart from the last two, where there was something I could take as a positive nugget from the performances. But there has been some consistency with this issue. And my further points to back this question up for debate are Lewis Cook is breaking up play tremendously. He has amazing statistics to show he's doing his job. Phil Bill's position, he is everywhere, but where is he? Christie is putting in the yards, but are those effective yards? Our high line with possession means when we play Sinesi and Zabs, we can't handle pace on the counter-attack. The issue in central areas is both going forwards and coming back. The press is not consistent and energetic enough to warrant the current structure. And finally not the right winger com uh, combinations mm. to enable everything else to work. So they're my supplementary points to my main question. I don't know quite where to start, Morgan, because there's a lot to digest in there. What I would say is it's a new philosophy. You've got players coming out like Adam Smith saying, look, we still back it, we're still trying. And Doni, like we've said on this channel, has not got the full tools at his disposal yet. He hasn't got Alex Scott. He hasn't got Tyler Adams. He hasn't had the ability to pick Jeff Lerma, who played 37 Premier League games last season. I suppose the first thing I want to ask you, Morgan, is do the players trust it enough to be brave enough in attack, from defence, in attack? Well, I think there are glimpses um, from what we saw um on the opening day against West Ham and the away performance at Brentford, which was a tough place. It's a tough, massive, tough place to go. Um, I think we have seen the more positive than negatives at times, but then the latter few weeks, we have seen the fact that we just seem to be maybe playing a little bit like we did under Gary O'Neill. And that's not to sound naive. It's just the truth of what we're seeing. And it's hard to get we were promised rock and roll football and for the last for a few games it seemed more exciting I definitely was more excited but then the last the, the performance at Everton alone you just kind of 
saw quite a sit back and not really go for it. And but he does rotate some of his winners quite often, and maybe that's why it's not quite clicking us the jigs final jigsaw puzzle yet. Um, hopefully, we'll see against Wolves that and Burnley that we more winnable games that we can go and show some more attacking football. Um, but at the moment, it's a bit. We're kind of halfway there, but not quite the end product yet. Yeah, John, I mean, it's one of them for me. Good evening, Wing. Hope you're doing well. It's one of them where I feel like you spoke about like Marcelo Bielsa, and I think Andoni was coached by Marcelo Bielsa, and he's leaned on his head coaching journey on Marcelo Bielsa. And you said that it takes a while. It can take Bielsa ball can take four months, and Andoni ball might take four, five months. And again, he's not had these players that he probably wants. But I feel like you have to be committed to it. If you're not 100% committed to it, it's going to break down and you're going to get found out. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Um, yeah, he is he is sort of like a, a Bielsaite, which I can't remember if that's a particular term, but um, he's a disciple of Bielsa as, as a number of modern day coaches are. And certainly the the, the massive basis of, of that kind of football is definitely um, your stamina. You have to be able to handle a lot of work in every game for an entire season. And if you look at how Leeds struggled in to maintain their form in his first season with them, he then obviously got them up the second time around. Things went brilliantly the first season. They were in the Prem and then they massively struggled second time and he got the sack. Um, and there are a few more similarities, I feel, with, with the way that our season at the moment is going with Leeds' second season. Um, you a lot you need to be doing things right and you need to be doing them consistently and you need to be doing them very very aggressively um and i th i feel as though we were doing a lot of that in the first few games i think you could see how well it went against liverpool for long periods but then one of their goal a couple of their goals happened because of our poor our lack of commitment in the press and players um falling asleep and against Arsenal I, I did a whole video where I did a video where I feel as though it was never going to work against Arsenal but against Everton it just never didn't really need to get going at all not that I felt we could press them that well because Pickford's just going to go long all the time but you need to have a game plan for every game and against Everton it felt like whatever the game plan was I never saw it I didn't see any of it and that is the worry at the moment is but in terms of Simon's point about balancing attack and defense and then Morgan sort of saying that we weren't really attacking in the in the Everton game. I, it just looked like there was no plan, solid plan going forward. It was passing it around the back to get past their first two players, at which point we didn't know how we were going to get past the halfway line. And we ended up playing long balls most of the time. Whilst I know long balls are a big part of Iriola's plan, those looked just hopeful. They didn't look, they weren't effective. And that is the worry at the moment that after those last couple of games, the positivity is drained and something needs to change quickly about Irolo's tactics, really, and the commitment of the players in order for the fans to stick with this project because it will turn quickly if we're not getting if we don't get results in the next two games. I really do think that. Steve Connor in the chat says, Do people really think that we can switch from Parker Ball, O'Neill Ball in just eight to ten mostly difficult games? And these players in the core. Simon have been coached pragmatically for three seasons now. So I've mentioned that before on previous videos. Um, coming to another comment, um, it is about 
let's go here this is this one uh hey guys great supplementary points by simon and i agree i've been to every home game and away and i'm always left confused to the fact we play a high line yet dom always seems an isolated figure over to you simon yeah i mean for me in relation to all these points what we just discussed there the issue for me is where's the priority in attack and defense is it through the center of the park or is it out wide which is it that we're looking to do I said at the end of back of the net recently in the warm-up to the games, we do these overlaps where you see Clive and whoever else and Aaron's and then on the other side and do these practice crosses. But when it comes to the game, whenever there's an opportunity to go wide and use width, they don't use the overlap. They cut back inside. So there's an inconsistency in approach and attack. Now, I would have thought that using the wide balls was part of what this press was meant to be, to take some of the pressure off the centre of the park. Now, if you come back inside most of the time, that doesn't help. Now, when we lose possession, if we're trying, well, what are we doing? Are we, is the aim to go out to in or in to out? Because there's no real out happening. And this is why I think when the, the, the possession breaks down, you have a limited constant press, as John quite rightly said. I am the Lewis Cook fan society this season because I see him running around like a nutter. And he gets pulled up sometimes for going too far forward. Now, I use Lewis Cook as an example. He's trying to do the press bit. And sometimes he gets caught out by going too far. Now, I believe that gets caught out because he's not seeing what's meant to happen from other players effectively around it. So I think there's inconsistency in personnel applying what's required. Do you think Lewis Cook needs some help, though, Simon? Because I, I do think Lewis Cook needs some help. I feel like Ruff, I'd, I'd rather see Rothwell alongside him on Saturday with Billing higher up. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. And at the end of the day, uh, I, I don't question Phil Bill's commitment to the cause. He's running around incredibly well. His statistics show that. But the end result is not the end result we really want from him because he's the most intelligent player to be able to facilitate additional movement from a 10 role or whatever you want to call it. So this kind of Lewis, you're the main man. You can't be the only main man in this kind of structure. You really need to. It's just not moving around right. The other point I would say is that I have still got some patience with Iriola, but he doesn't have his full coaching set up. And mm. I do question sometimes whether it's very difficult to get this as per the comment that was raised a moment ago, into all the players, maybe he could be struggling to get his approach into some of his coaches that aren't his coaches. Now, again, that's nothing against Tommy and Coops, etc. brilliant coaches. But is there something here? Because it's one thing getting it into players. It's another thing maybe trying to get it into coaches who've not seen it before. Terry says in the chat that he feels that Iriola could be out of his depth and he's not playing players in the right positions. Wrong players, wrong positions. And he's very close to potentially losing his job if we don't get a result against Wolves. Other people in the chat, Morgan, are saying that these games coming up in the next two, Matthew Gale says it, Bournemouth uh, against Wolves, Bournemouth against Burnley. They, they must be must-win games for me, but we've got to pick up points. And it comes down to confidence as well. Like, if you're not in confidence, that can hurt you, especially when you're trying to adapt a new philosophy. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm hoping that, 
you guys made a point about Solanke being isolated up there sometimes, or someone in the comments said it. Yeah, um, you know, Kiefer Morse just got two goals on international duty. You know, it may, may not be a good opposition um, that you ever, but as a striker, to have the ball in the back of the net, Bournemouth are lacking a lot of goals at time. And if we can bring him on, and change the game. I'm not saying it's always the answer, but if he can add in a couple of goals every now and again and stuff, then we look in a different... Um, I do think Dom Solanke, although his press is amazing up top, um, we do need um, to invest in another striker. I do think he's got... Um, if he gets injured, then we are in deep, deep trouble. But now, as you alluded to, I think um, the next two games... I'm not in meltdown at maybe some of this negativity on social media yet, but I do think if we don't get six, two wins, six points out of the next two games, we are in very, very bad trouble and it won't look good with then Man City to come. So, no, it's important, very important. So Simon's asking about us transitioning from defence to attack. Are the wheels turning as well as we'd like them to? Morgan wants to know if David Brooks should start a Premier League game. What does David Brooks need to do to start a Premier League game? That's what Morgan wants to know, John. And we've spoke about this on a few shows now as well. And we've talked about maybe David Brooks not fitting the style. Is he quick enough? Can he press enough? But the wingers currently starting, not delivering, are they? Uh, no. And um, I think David Brooks will... David Brooks was one of my players to watch for the for the league um, after his preseason. I just really felt that with the form that he take that he's shown in preseason, which is can often be a red herring, but I really did think that with the player that he has, the determination that he's currently got, the the drive that has got him back to the point at which he is playing professional football again and starting football games, and heck, he's gone and scored his first cup goal and then his first Premier League goal in over two years. Um, that he really was in a position where he could have thrived um, with some of the opportunity, with an opportunity given either to play as the number 10, because I think he could fulfill that role, or play on the right, which he does quite often. And I think that with what I was expecting from Iriola Ball, with, with the winger, um, particularly, you know, the, the wingers often will cut inside, but what's important is that they combine well with their fullback and with the number 10 when they come over to that side. And David Brooks is one of the most technically gifted players that we have. So I thought that something was in there for him. But it's very clear that Iriola is very much favouring physically um, stronger stronger and um, more athletically gifted, I suppose is what I would say. You see, like, he's stuck with Watara when technically he's been one of the poorest players in the Premier League this season. Um, Tavernier finally showed something more like it against Everton. But even if you see, like... Semenyo getting starts, which I thought was perfectly valid after his goal against West Ham. Um, or you see even Cliver getting a few games, although, again, he's probably not the fastest one. I do worry. I do wonder what David Brooks necessarily needs to do to get that start, because clearly we're not getting a lot from our wingers at the moment. So you would think that maybe changing things around a bit more frequently would you know, find a solution. But... Um, I can only hope that Iriola changes his mind sooner or later on it. But at the same time, if he's going to play on the right now, he takes the place of Tavernier, or maybe you shift Tavernier to the left-hand side. But um, yeah, we've got so much depth in wing in wingers. He, sh he doesn't need to stick with the same players, particularly when you've got some that are performing poorly. Yeah, Simon, I mean, I've been pushing David Brooks for a little bit now because of the underperforming Dangu Tara. I'm not 
completely blown away by Sinistera, but we've only seen pockets of him at the moment. Tavernier's in this team for me, and I'm happy to have him over to the left. I think David Brooks got an assist last night for Wales. Not sure if he's injured, but let's say he's fit on Saturday. I want him in the side, I think, although I am happy for Semenyo to maybe start if it's not David Brooks. I'm going to take a step back to the Phil Bill conversation because I think there's a direct connection to our wing play and how that works. All of our wingers will be more effective if Phil Bill played in the number 10 role because Solanke drops really deep, sometimes too often, to fulfil a role that Phil will do really well. He joins up play really, really well. You know, if we go back to some of our most fluid performances last season, and also Morgan touched on it briefly there, there are phases of the second half away at Brentford where he did play further forward. Now, he's a really, really good pivot player, which makes the winger's job a lot easier to do what they're naturally gifted to do. So for me, David Brooks is a shoo-in if Phil Bill plays in the role that we think he should play in. Whereas if we're playing with the setup we currently have, he's not a shoo-in. So where are you at then, Morgan? Because I'm looking at Saturday and you brought this topic to the table and I think Wolves might ask us to try and break them down. I'm expecting a Gary O'Neill team that will try and just soak it up and then hope that Neto and Huang can go and do their magic that they've done this season. If that's the case, David Brooks is very talented. He can find a pass. He can thread a ball through. We know he can score goals. We're not scoring enough goals at the moment. I feel like you want David Brooks and this team on Saturday if he's fit. 100%. Um, as long as he's fit and raring to go, there's no reason, by out a doubt, that you wouldn't play David Brooks. Um, he, um, John mentioned he had a goal in the Cup and in the Premiership at Watford. He all. Um, at Watford, at Brentford, sorry. He also had one for Wales on international duty. So he had three goals in three different games. Yes, he might not have played 90 minutes. I don't think he's quite there in terms of fitness, especially under Iriola Borg. We want to be playing this high intensity we, well, that we are seeing at times, but through 90 minutes. But he he has to start. It's as simple as that. He's better than Pedro, um, Pedro Neto. He's better than Juan. And, but he's just got to be given the opportunity and... Considering that we need wins, it would be it's massive brand only. We need a home win as well. Lift the crowd, get in better spirit. We got Man City away after these next two games. The pressure will soon turn if he doesn't start making brave decisions. And as a manager, you get paid to make decisions. And if something's not working, you've got to sort it out pretty quickly, otherwise it could get very toxic. And also, just to add to that, with it being O'Neill coming back on Saturday, I think it could get quite. I don't want it to, but I think it could get quite toxic and the booze and maybe some of the negativity of Bournemouth fans might get onto Andoni if he doesn't make some crucial decisions in these times. I feel like we need an early goal. Look, that's a statement, Morgan, that David Brooks is better than Pedro Neto and Huang. No, I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying he's not, but they're in form. They're in form. Uh, John, let me just go into the chat. Steve says, hopefully Andoni Iriola saw that glorious assist from David Brooks for Wales yesterday and starts him on Saturday. Wing agrees with that. And, and Omid brings up a point as well, John. I feel like we're having the same discussions and the conclusions we keep coming to are the same again. And we're coming on to your topic now where Simon's sort of touched on it, the number 10 dilemma. 
and we, we keep talking about Philip Billing. And I think you tried to explain at the start of the season that you expected Billing to play this deeper role, maybe because Alex Scott might play higher up. We haven't seen Alex Scott yet. Hamad Traore's not really had a look in. And to be honest with you, I don't even feel that Traore fits this. I feel like he needs to be in a team that gives him freedom, not a team that expects him to press. He didn't have a great game in the Carabao Cup, but he's low in confidence. I just want Billing higher up. I just feel like the three seasons, we've seen what we can get from Philip Billing. And although the stats might tell you that Philip Billing runs and presses and does the job next to Lewis Cook, I don't see it from my eyes because I remember Philip Billing arriving late into the area, scoring goals, giving us 10 assists, 10 goals, seven goals in the Premier League last year. We just need the Philip Billing right now because we need three points. Yeah. Um, yeah. In my preseason video, when I um, spoke about what I expected from Iriola Ball, and I put that I felt that Christie was actually the nail that was a nailed on starter in this side because of his because of how effective he is at pressing, how how tireless he is off the ball, and that he still has technical ability on the ball. He obviously hasn't shown his goals and assist numbers, but because of purely his his stamina and, and his work rate and his and his pressing he would he would definitely start on the number 10 and like in the end i got proven right but it has shown the frustration that when i said billing would play deeper i said the reason he would do that is because he is so capable everywhere in midfield he'll play deeper then he'll push up and then when we're in attack he will arrive in the box to produce the same movements and late arrivals to score that he did last season. And what we're seeing is that Iriola's got him on a leash. He's not letting him push forward. He's playing far too deep far too often. But the 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 flip side to that, and this is getting away a little bit from the from the point I was uh from this number 10 aspect of it, but I suppose Phil Billing is is one of the the um one of the solutions to that, along with possibly Triore, possibly David Brooks in competition to Christie, um, is that I don't think Rothwell's necessarily is, is the right partner for Cook at this point. I think that while I understand the the desire to have Rothwell in there, and I think obviously, you know, Rothwell is a central midfielder, full absolutely fully a central midfielder unlike billing who we all see as more of a number 10 nowadays or i think his best position was as a, a sort of a box to box eight um it's, rothwell and cook are incredibly similar players they're, they're basically mm. the same player they're both incredibly press resistant they both run hard but aren't specialized as ball winners um they've both got a good pass on them but they both prefer to dribble it's they are so similar that um, whilst Rothwell has shown a little bit more going forward, and I think a lot of fans were impressed with him last season in, in moments, um, we're missing that DM. And, and then you put, once Tyler Adams comes back in, then you put Rothwell next to him, or you put Cook next to him, and you allow them to push on, and then you really would want Billing further up the pitch. But even until then, I think Alex Scott might be the one that you put next to Lewis Cook as more of the box to box player and hopefully put Billing up front. I think the big issue at the moment is just this lacking this ball winning dm because it is affecting who we're putting in number 10 i think as as simon mentioned the fact that maybe because billing is deep you don't play brooks i think that christie and billing in terms of technical and, and combining players billing just obviously has is more physically gifted technically is generally better um but also has more familiarity with the players i would i would say um but he also tends to stay a bit further left, whereas Christie tends to come a bit further right. 
there's there's a number of combinations at which you can you can set up this team at the moment, but just whatever Iraola is picking, particularly in the last couple of games, it has not worked going forward whatsoever. And I do feel as though Christie not playing deeper has affected our ability to build up from deeper positions because it's just cut the field in half and we can't get from the defensive position to the attacking position when we're on the ball. Um, whatever Whoever we play at the moment in the number 10, it's not working because there isn't a connection. And Simon, and I think I do agree with him, said that Billing is the best player to form that connection between our defensive possession play and our attacking possession play by being the connector in that number 10 role. Um, I feel Christie should just be better at that than he is, but I do think his positioning is not as good as Billings would be. So there's a lot that's going wrong. There's a lot that's sort of like a lot of questions to answer and personnel changes could certainly have an effect on that. Something needs to happen though, Simon, on Saturday, because for all of what John's just said, I think Christie's running out of time because he's not getting numbers and he is the one that's been playing higher up. And I feel like Andoni needs to look at what Billing has done in the past two and a half seasons. He needs to play him higher up. And I think that Christie should potentially lose his place on Saturday with what I would like to see. Are you of the same thinking? Uh, I think Christie's done brilliantly, but I do come to the same conclusion. I do think that we're not the finished, polished article yet, as we've discussed. So therefore you have to default to something that you know works a little bit better with players that are proven in roles that we need at the moment. And that might be slightly counterintuitive to wanting to keep Iriola moving in his direction, but needs must at the moment for these next couple of games. So if Christie is the one that goes by the wayside to mean that Billing plays where we need mm. him to play, then for these couple of games, I think you have to do it, even though it might go against Iriola's better judgment of what the long-term project is. So that's what I would do. Um, we need a win. Uh, can David Brooks therefore start if Billing plays in the number 10 role, yes, I believe he can because he can unlock something that other players can't. And do we have to be cleverer against Wolves? Do we need the same level of Christie grit? Maybe not. Interesting. Right, Morgan, let's see what Morgan's saying. Uh, we'll see what Omid's saying here. I think Rockwell is a better passer than Cook. There's more box to box. Mark agrees. With Wolves, we'll sit deep and we'll have to try and break them down. Matthew says, Morgan, he doesn't know his best 11. Rolling the dice each game could cost him. And Doni doesn't know his best 11. In his mind, Morgan, on paper, with all the players, if they were fit, he probably does know his best 11. That's not reality. He needs to nail something in the next two. I think he needs to commit to two starting 11s for Wolves and Burnley. We know from previous very, very good Bournemouth teams that there was a lot of consistency in, in, in the teams that were picked. There were connections, there were partnerships and there was leadership. And there's a lot in this team that doesn't have that right now. So Andoni's got to find something for the next two that works and can click and we can score goals, win football matches and that confidence will grow. 
Yeah, 100%. I think you net the nail on the head, Kirk. I think that we just need to... I think also, um, I, I think John said it on a previous video, um, Neto needs to calm down a lot. Um, he is the captain of our football club at the moment. Uh, that's a conversation for another day, but I think he needs to chill out a little bit. He's experienced enough and he seems to be getting a lot of yellow cards by going... Not just having a quiet word as a captain, shouting at the referee as a captain, you're allowed to have a calm, mature conversation. And yes, at sometimes, you know, maybe the penalty at Anfield, you're going to be a little bit frustrated, but it's all about he he's the leader of our football club. But now, going forward um, for the next two matches, we are at home. O'Neill comes here, I think, with a little bit more confidence than Ondoni, maybe. Uh, the fact that they've got a win against Manchester City, all right, it might not be the most comfortable football match you're ever going to watch, but we just need to hold our breath. The crowd needs to get behind the lads on Saturday and the following week, not turn on them too soon. Don't boo players, don't start getting tension, get sin a few songs, get behind the lads, and hopefully we'll cheer them on because... It's, you know, we are the home team for the next couple of weeks. We don't want to be going to the Etihad. We're not. And it's more about the application, I think. If we can get a win and a draw, I think we'll be a lot happier with that as fans if we see two good performances. I think if we win both football matches, but we come out with it with nappy 1-0 one one win and the performance isn't there, I think that's more upsetting to the fans than it is if you win the football match so as long as we see two good performances we'll go for maximum points I think we need them but I think the performances are very very key to this football club at the moment very very well done said there Morgan right Morgan it's been great to have you on this latest fan debate I don't need a score prediction we'll speak about that on Thursday in Cherries and Focus episode 14 what I do want to know do you think we can get a result on Saturday against Wolves 100% you've got to be confident as long as the crowd are up for it and our players are on form, that having said, Andoni gets paid the money, so he has to make the decision. As long as we're on it from the first minute to 97, if it goes that far into an additional time, hopefully it doesn't be able official, then uh, it should all be okay. Fantastic. Simon, also, we might have a lucky scout. Sorry, lucky mascot. Charlie Lanners, don't worry. We've got a lucky mascot this week but he doesn't know he is yet. Oops, hope he's not watching. Simon, tell us about Talking Cherries, if you've got any events going on at the moment. Do tell us about Talking Cherries. Do you think we can get a result on Saturday against Wolves? Well, of course we can get a result. That's the easy bit. There's no denying that we've got a good chance. So, yeah, three points, thank you very much. It can happen. So as much as we critique and we have our queries and questions, can we do it? Yes, we can. Bit of confidence, definitely needed. Uh Talking Cherries, I haven't got any in-person events coming up, but we are lining up a lot of guests to come on to our regular calls to talk about mental health, whether that's in the football industry, whether that's refereeing, or whether that's players and ex-players, etc. So we're looking to enhance those conversations. And I just want to say a quick thank you to anybody that donated towards the uh, mental health first aid training, which a couple of our people have now recently completed. So uh, thanks for that. Thank you very much, Simon. Where can people find you, Talking Cherries? Uh, at Cherries Talking on pretty much every platform. Most of our engagements on Twitter. I haven't got the threads thing going yet, but uh, definitely Twitter. Also got a Facebook page and uh, on Instagram. Fantastic. So some great topics there. We will be bringing our next two guests on in a moment, but do subscribe to this YouTube channel. Do hit the like button. 
We also want to thank our monthly members. Had some new ones. Thank you to Matt Gale, Mark, Matt Gale, Mark Davis, Sean Woodland, recently joined, and the rest of you. You can become a member or donate to the channel at buymeacoffee.com slash cherries red army details in the description below thank you very much thank you morgan have a good rest of your week and follow the cherries on saturday yeah thank you very much for having me and yeah up the cherries as she said and uh hopefully it will be uh, a good performance thanks very much thank you simon for your contribution on this first half of the show and have a good rest of the week thank you up the cherries and let's bang those drums even if we don't like one of them Right, let's get our next two guests on. John's staying with me. He's my wingman. You hit the like button. We are live on YouTube and Twitter. John's still with us, and we've now got David Codron from Australia. What time is it? Always like to do a time check. How are you doing, David? Uh, good morning, Kirk. It's, uh, it's a bit more reasonable this time. It's uh, 20 to 7 in the morning. Fantastic. Have you got a fun fact? I'll probably put you on the spot, but have you got a fun fact supporting the Cherries? I do. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So on the night that we, the famous night against Nottingham Forest uh, that we got promoted to the Premier League, I had a 6am flight out of Heathrow and was uh, partying at Dean Court until about midnight that night. And had to get a, a cab to the Bournemouth coach station and managed to uh, get a cab with a fairly inebriated uh, older man. And um, he just turned out, just having a conversation with him and turned out to be Phil Billings' dad. Nice. Nice. It wasn't you that told him he should play deeper, was it? Oh, I didn't. I don't think he was coherent enough to have a proper conversation. To be fair, Philip Billings' dad's on Twitter quite a bit. And when you make comments about like putting Biller, Billing high up the pitch, he likes it. So I think right. he wants Biller in a, Billing in number 10. <laughs> um, our next guest on the show, he's been on before. It's good to see him again. It's Josh. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, not bad. Thank you. And you. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah. No, it's absolutely fine, buddy. Uh, got a fun fact? Supporting the Cherries? Uh, it's a difficult one. But I'm going to say... Back when my first game, uh, we had three stands, a fence and an ice cream van. That's what I can remember, but yeah. Yeah, we used to lose a lot of footballs, didn't we, John? <laughs> yeah, back in the day. <laughs> we still do, to be fair. When they want to waste time, they'll just stick it over the main stand into the car. But, <laughs> but we've got rolling balls now, haven't we? Right, so um, yeah, not sure how that come out on the podcast. We'll go on to our next topic. Uh, let's go to, which is sort of... A Familiar theme, current theme going on here, David. Let's go to you. Uh, David's topic. Did we change philosophy too quickly? This is Bill Foley's vision. This was my vision to have a Brighton type model with fancy football, entertaining. Who cares if we lose every other week? It's going to be fun. It's not quite fun yet, David. I still am hanging on to the theory that this could be beautiful, but it's getting tough, isn't it? Uh, it's getting tough, but it is early days. Um, and yes, it's a bit of a regurgitation of the uh, the pre the first half conversation. But as as you mentioned, like the the last few seasons has been a pragmatic approach. Um, Parker got the job done. It was effective, but it wasn't beautiful to watch. We weren't free flowing, free scoring team coming into the Premier League under Parker initially, and then O'Neill once again a pragmatic approach um, and. That is fairly reasonable being a newly promoted side. 
And Bill Phil, Bill Foley does have this have this vision, this bold vision of trying to change this club and becoming a more attractive team to watch and um, bring those bring that free flowing football back. But I'm just I don't necessarily believe it yet. The question that I have, but I was a little bit more concerned that maybe a gradual approach of trying to integrate some more expansive football in a slower paced manner may have been a more um, intelligent approach, but we'll, we'll obviously have to wait and see whether this um, uh, rapid transition is something that we can we can make uh, work. So what position, Josh, is Bill Foley in here? Because I feel like you can't just bin it after nine or ten games, but I can sort of understand some fans if we don't get proper results against Wolves Burnley going, it's done like we're now nine ten games in potentially without a win but we've got to just hang on I think because I keep saying it but it could be a really good moment for us it's hard to see at the moment but really would Bill Foley been it after 10 Premier League games I don't think so no I think it's a long-term project under Foley I think and you know, to be fair to Andoni, I think he sort of was thrown in the deep end a little bit with the fixtures, you could say. It's not an easy start. Mm. Only really Everton, you'd say, we'd win. And that, it was shocking. It was poor performance. But I think I think I saw on Talk Sport that we're firmly sticking by him today as well. So I think you'll see the negatives, but also see the positives and the long terms and the injuries we have. So I don't think Foley would rush into anything at the moment. What will help Andoni Iriola, John, if the results don't go his way, is seeing something on the pitch for longer than 5, 10, 15 minutes and actually see, OK, we didn't win the game, but there was a lot of good in there and we were just unfortunate on the day. Because the question there for David was, did we change philosophy too quickly? I mean, is there ever a time to go from pragmatic delivery to something more expansive? I mean, at some point, if this was the dream, Bill Bowling, who wants to be a football team that he owns, he's going to do it at some point. Why not now? Yeah, um, I, I do. Um, I do agree with the question. Certainly, in in the you know, you've you've got to sort of like, there's got to be a level of query as to sort of like if if it has if it was meant to be done, should you do it this this fast, um, or at least should it should it be such a rapid change from three managers of, of rather dour football to someone that's wanting to be so incredibly attacking and, and aggressive. But, you know, it depends on you, on how how good you think your players are to be able to, to initiate that as well. Um, because admittedly, it's slightly different. But if you look at Tottenham, they went from um, Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte, two of the most negative managers, to all counter-attacking, defend first and will nick a goal and win 1-0. Managers there have ever been in the Premier League. And they've gone to Big Ange, who is one of the most attacking and has just won the Manager of the Month award twice in a row for being so incredibly attacking and aggressive. And really, I don't think they've brought in as many players as they could have done in order to help him with his attacking, because they've still got basically wing-backs at full-back. Um, they only brought in the one centre-back. They brought in a better keeper, which was great. But Madison essentially changed the game for them without them bringing in a proper main new striker. When you look at what Bournemouth have done in terms of what would Bournemouth have needed to be able to take Andoni's style and put it on the pitch, you would have definitely needed a Lerma replacement regardless of who you brought in. But you needed attacking 
uh, and uh, Young and stamina filled fullbacks, which we bought at least. We should have brought another one at left back, but we brought in first choice options. Um, you need some wingers that are going to be able to go balls to the wall for sixty minutes and then rest for a, then rest for a game, so they can do it again every two weeks. Um, and that's basically the main requirements um, for him. And then we even brought in the likes of Alex Scott, who was who was a fantastic addition. And unfortunately, obviously, we haven't seen Adams or Scott yet. So I think it's a combination of not having the players that he needs. Whilst, whilst doing a lot, we don't have everything that he needs. Uh, Josh's point was bang on. The The fixtures are ridiculous. The fixture schedule has massively hindered him. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's a combination of a bunch of things. Uh, just to add on to the point of like not necessarily getting rid of him, um, it was really pointed out to me. Um, I'm a big fan of the Football Daily YouTube channel, uh, and one of and their Sunday Vibes show just recently talked about basically how poor the bottom of the Premier League is. Like, you don't need to be good to survive this season. When you look at Burnley being nowhere near what they used to be, Luton aren't anything special, neither are Sheffield United, but neither of them were expected to be. And then you've got us, unfortunately. But, you know, there's a few other teams down here that are not great. If we just do enough to survive this season and just slowly build... That's a legitimately good aim to go for. If we're still in a half decent position to survive by the end of November, middle of December, um, we should be absolutely fine. Just as long as we pick up a couple of wins, just to say keep our head just close to above water. I do think that we can sort of count on Andoni steadily bringing us up towards where he wants us to be and heck with January bringing a, a back at left back that we desperately need to, to battle Kirkes for and more importantly a DM so that if Adams is only able to play five games this season we actually have someone that can fill in that spot but um, I, I do want to stick with him I really do as much mm. as I've been negative recently I think it's the best idea to stick with him I'm sure I was saying that about the league last season, about how poor it was down the bottom, but it <laughs> seems to be very, very poor this season. Your topic, David, was put into the chat for them to discuss, and Mark Cole has decided to bat it back with evolution or revolution. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not sure what he means by revolution, but um, look, I think... I think I'm definitely on on the side of Iriola, and I think that once he's he's made that decision to go with it, then he's got to stick with it, um, at least for the time being, and give it everything it's got to try and um, try and work. I agree with um, the fact that there are two that I feel like it probably should be easier to survive this season with um, Luton and Sheffield United looking like two teams that are. We would, it would be amazing if, if we finished below either of those two teams and then you only have to find one other team to finish above to um, to, to uh, survive and that gives us an opportunity to use this season, I suppose, to embed that, that football philosophy and then figure out which players suit that, that style of football and which players need to be moved on and, and uh, positions re- uh, filled with new players. But Josh, points provide prizes or Premier League positions and safety. So we are all seemingly in the vision and we think we'll get there. In two games, we do need to pick up something. So I've said previously, do we need to adapt slightly? I don't want Andoni Iriola to throw the rule book out and just drop everything because like the other guys have said on the channel, you're just almost not putting any confidence in what you're saying. But has he got to adapt because he hasn't got Tyler Adams? We haven't got Jeff Lerman no more. We haven't got Alex Scott. Has he got to adapt a little bit 
tweak a little bit to get a result on Saturday. Yeah, but I mean, you look at last game at Everton, it just wasn't working. I think it's Dom looked isolated in attack and then we look vulnerable at the back at the same time. It's, there's no consistency really in the lineups. I didn't, un, I mean, I understood Smithy coming in with a bit of experience, but mm. Max has been maybe our best defender. Wrong this player season. went out. Yeah. And, um, you know, Dango coming in was obviously controversial. But I just think people like Semenyo, he hasn't put a foot wrong all season and he got drops. I think he's so forward thinking and creative and he'll have a shot. And that's something we need at the minute because, you know, at times Dom against Everton was picking the ball almost on the corner of the box and all he had was, was the goal and there was no one with him. So I think we have to adapt at both ends, really. Yeah, I mean, that's where I find it hard, David, to stick up for Andoni, which I've done right from the start, is when you're taking out a fullback who's been very, very good. I think Kirkes has been good, but very suspect at the back and confidence might have been hit by a few mistakes. Dango should not be anywhere near the starting eleven, And Semenyo was frightening Liverpool at Anfield. And when you're not playing those types of players, it's very hard to stick up for him. It is. Um, yeah, as I said in one of my tweets to, to you, Kirk, that we've got players that are making defensive errors that you can't uh, hold the manager accountable for, but there are some really bizarre selection decisions that um, you're hopeful will turn out right, but there's just no evidence, historical evidence, that suggests they're the way to go. Um, I'll be amazed if Dango uh, starts on Saturday, but I was amazed when he started last week. So we'll obviously have to wait and see what Iriola uh, chooses for this coming game. Steve says, Meps or Kelly to start on Saturday. Have to agree with you, Steve. Definitely on Lloyd Kelly. Need a bit of experience yeah. at the back. I think Senesi, for whatever reason, is, is looking a little bit out of form as well. I think I'm still okay with Sabani, but I'd be okay with, with Kelly and Mepham. Look, they've known each other for a long time. They're very solid. They're very good defenders. John spoke about that as well. Let's come on to your question, talking about defenders then, Josh, because you've put your topic on the table. What is our problem with set pieces? Uh, please elaborate because I can talk about defending or attacking. I mean, is it just all of it? Yeah. I thought I'd, I'd change it up. I thought it would all be about the manager and obviously, but there's yeah. nothing at the weekends that I hate more at the moment than a set piece. I mean, I said well, to my mate at Everton. Or, or when someone wants to try and take one. Oh, I, I said to my mate, you might as well give him a goal kick when we had set pieces because it's... <laughs> It's it's either the first man or it's too it's over mm. everyone. It's we just haven't had a set piece taker since junior really. And then mm. defensively, it's so sloppy. I think at one point we had Milos on Tarkovsky marking him, and I thought mm. that's just there's got to be some sort of organisation at the back. And then obviously going forwards, just attack the ball and put a good ball in because it's so frustrating. It's been years now since we put a good ball in the box. I think mm -hmm. Senesi corner at Lorient. And the friendlies, the only one I can remember. So he was playing I mean, yeah. CDM. Yeah, he was playing CDM as well when he pulled that one in. Uh, John, interesting. Probably spend an hour just talking about set pieces, couldn't we? Let's talk about attacking because Junior Stanislas retired last week. I thought he'd already retired actually, but officially retired last week. Still our last direct free kick scorer in the league. Rockwell had his cross stroke shot in the Carabao Cup, but that's a poor stat from the championship the genius Stanislas is the last player for us to score a free kick in a league game and I do think we've got a player in Tavernier but 
I can remember when we bought Tavernier and his final ball was was very, very poor, but then it got better and then he was scoring goals at Leeds, etc. But he's had a long time out and I feel like Tavernier's back where he started with regards to his delivery. We've got Lewis Cook taking corners, which I don't think is a good sign. Yeah, you know when you're just looking for some like, you know when you want some free goals where you don't have to work so hard for them? We just don't have any of them. Yeah, um, according to Opta at the moment, we've got the lowest XG from set pieces in the league. Um, admittedly, we've also taken the fewest shots um, from set pieces in the league as well. Um, I think you could, you, you know, as, as pointed out by um, Amid, it, it goes back to the Eddie Howe days, but I feel what Eddie Howe sort of understood was basically we don't necessarily have too many players that are necessarily going to get you a goal from a set piece uh, in terms of going to leap above an opposition defence. Um, although having said that, um, we had a great habit of scoring from set pieces uh, because when we did bother putting in the box, you had Frano, you had Steve Cook that were going to just throw themselves at the ball. And Josh King made the, uh, might as well have trademarked that back post run. The amount of times he got flick-ons that ended up at the back post and he just tapped it in from half a yard out. Um, we got those all the time. It, it felt like we got them all the time. We've probably got like, Josh King probably got five goals a season by just making the same back post run every single game. Um, but what Eddie Howe did a lot, obviously, although to be fair, it was uh, we all know it was Jason Tindall, um, was the was the set piece guy who would come up with all the different plans. So you can always change things up. And at the moment, the things Bournemouth aren't getting a lot of set pieces. Um, obviously, we're not getting a lot. We're not getting a massive amount of corners. We're actually towards the start of the season we were doing a lot better, but not not so much recently. Not a lot of free kicks from decent positions, and obviously, penalties is you know, well, we're still adding to the counter of how long it's been since our last penalty. So we're not really getting up into attacking positions enough to get the fouls to cause the to cause the set pieces. But we're trying a lot of short balls as well, because again, you look at our team, like, okay, Solanke's committed, you've got Sonesi and Zabani are committed. But outside of that, you know, we know Billings the tallest man on the pitch, but it doesn't mean he's very good at headering the ball. So we're playing, we're trying to create situations to sort of force the opposition a bit but it's it's really not working a lot at the moment and it hasn't for a good good few seasons and i i just think that it may well be I, to be honest i'd rather just bring in a set piece coach it's just it's just one of those things that if you're clearly lacking in an area just spend some money to get it sorted with coaches are one of the cheapest things you could bring in in a football team in a football team mm. really especially when you compare it to the players and the manager so just invest because I really do think that maybe the, just the time is not being spent. Either the time is not being spent or it's not being spent well. And the thing is, at the moment, is we've got so many other issues in terms of our philosophy. Why would Iriola spend that much time sorting out set pieces when he's got to get us being, being able to play from our box to their box much better than we have done for basically, the, from well, certainly the last few weeks. So I, I do expect uh, us to not be very good at set pieces, certainly attacking-wise, for quite a while longer, I would imagine. Defensively, well... God, we've got Cooper and Elphick in our, in our backroom staff. You would have thought they'd been able to sort this out by now, wouldn't you? Mm. Steve Connor agrees with you, John. I'm a bit disappointed we haven't got a set-piece coach in. AFCB Mackey, Philip taking corners when he's the tallest player is so frustrating. We need to sort out set-pieces in both boxes. I think it was Chelsea. Max Ahrens was marking Chelsea's tallest player. So stupid. This doesn't really relate to AFC Bournemouth, David, but I feel like 
Josh has given me a really good opportunity to put something in that's annoyed me for a long time. Even Eddie Howe did this right. Don't know if like I'm not football manager anymore. I used to play it years ago. But there was a time in football when something changed. And then everyone was bringing everyone back for corners. Pretty much every manager does it, right? Never understood it, David, right? And I've had this theory in my head, right? I've done it at youth level, actually. Why, when, especially when it's nil-nil, I'm going off on a tangent here, so just bear with me. When it's nil-nil, right, why wouldn't you put three players on the halfway line? Because 10 minutes gone in the game, it's nil-nil. If you put three players on the halfway line, three quick players, right? Surely the opposition are going to match you plus one. So you're going to keep four players out of the box? Is there not something in that? Because you know when Neto actually catches a ball, we're three on three in attack or three on four. Like, honestly, genuinely, anyone in the chat, why don't football teams try and put three attackers up there and just ask your position to mark, to mark them? And you, and you put less players? Because I know Eddie Howe said once in a fans forum, he said, the reason we bring everyone back is there's less space to work with. Still conceded goals. Well, yeah, you've got to have confidence in the players that, that are in the box first, um, I suppose, to, to reduce the amount of numbers that you've got there. Um, I don't know if I'd have three, but I would definitely have one or two to at least give the opposition something to think about in terms of their attacking structure. And um, yeah, but Omid, I suppose Omid only wants two. He doesn't want three up yes. there. I don't know. I'm just thinking we've got they got four defenders. I mean, I'm just thinking. I mean, if we had if we had a keeper that was commanding in the air and we had a lot more confidence in our centre backs, then yeah, there might be a little bit more uh, license to be a little bit uh, to be more aggressive in that approach. But, um, yeah, I've got no managerial experience, so I've got no idea why this uh, why this hasn't been um, implemented. No. Is there something in that, Josh, or am I just talking silly here? Because when the game's nil-nil, I don't know, just challenge the opposition. See what you're going to do. We're going to put three players on the halfway line. Nil, you've got a score, haven't you? So I'd say, <laughs> I'd say three's maybe a bit much, but two's definitely a good shout. But I think it's just lack of maybe confidence in your defence, really. We're conceding all those goals. You want to put more players back and then limit them, really, mm. instead of us scoring. I think we're more concentrated on not conceding than going up the other end quickly and maybe scoring ourselves, really. Yeah. It's the other thing, isn't it, John? And we can come back to Everton here. The problem I have with it, when you put everyone in the box, you're ultimately nine times out of, uh, out of ten defending two balls into the box because you clear one then it comes back in again. And if you don't deal with the first one or you don't catch it and you punch it, then you can see potentially goals. Yeah. Um, the other aspect of what you're talking about in terms of putting players, not necessarily cramming them into the box, is not having players at the edge of the box to deal with those second to deal with those second balls. Something that I think if I go back to um that there will have been other instances, but the one that comes back to me is obviously the third goal in our loss to Arsenal when um uh, when the ball sort of lands towards the edge of the box. I just feel that while I understand trying to get all 11 men within the space of about 12 yards a goal, you need to put at least one towards the centre of the edge of the box because when the ball flies out, particularly if you know you've got a goalkeeper that isn't going to catch, he's going to punch it. If anything, put two there. So then when it falls, you've got a decent chance of it falling to a Bournemouth player, which is the other half of what you're saying, that if, the ball, if your goalkeeper doesn't catch it and he punches it, you've got to defend two balls. Well, if you don't, if you put two players out that could pick up that loose ball, then you prevent the second one coming in. And Bournemouth, historically, as bad as we've been in the set piece, Bournemouth have also historically had a terrible issue with not blocking crosses. Um, Charlie Daniels was 
particular bugbear of mine that as much as I loved him as, a, as an attacking player, my God, he never blocked a cross in his life. So it's, it's a bunch of defensive issues for us, but I do think that, and others have mentioned it, and and someone else pointed out to me, but I never really focused on it enough. Zabani appear, appears to be well, fantastic one on one with long balls from a goalkeeper. Apparently, seems to be very suspect at actually following his man at all from set pieces. And you know, if you're one of your main strength, what is once meant to be one of your main strengths, the centre back is not just doing the basic aspect of following his man. Um, you might as well pack the box so that even if he does lose it, you might have someone else that's going to get his head on the ball. But uh, I do think that one of the reasons why Adam Smith was brought in in the Everton game was the idea of maybe having some leadership in the back line. So I mean, having someone with experience, I don't think it helped at all. You need him to be the, it needed to be the center back position. And much as Kelly is only 23, maybe might've hit 24 by now. He's still one of the most experienced defenders we've got in our side. And I've also spoken about, I think Mepham should come in for Zabani at this point as again, some kind of leadership figure that, is going to help organise that defence because I do think Sonesi and Zabani as a partnership, as much as I thought it would be the one we have going forward and looked very capable towards the end of last season, has been so suspect. Uh, particularly, you could look, look at Brentford and how lucky we were to not concede about five goals in that game because of the because of the terrible display that the, the two of them put together as a partnership. It's it's been um, it's been concerning, and I did centre back if we even keep Kelly beyond January because I pretty confident Spurs will come in again for him. We need at least one experienced centre-back. Heck, try and get Cahill back out of retirement. <laughs> Just bring someone in that's going to provide some leadership and some experience to help bring that defence to a decent level because it is it is concerning at this point. Ben says his apologies for joining the stream late. You're absolutely fine, Ben. Thanks for joining us on YouTube and AFCB Mackie again. I think it was a change to every team using sonal marking. So you just have everyone in the box to try and clear it away, then get up the pitch. Well, it's interesting conversations. I want to bring a topic to the table as we come to the last section of this stream, Josh. There's a lot of discussions within social media and people's opinions, fans' opinions about... Mm -hmm. Whether it's fair to compare corresponding fixtures from last season, if we do that, we took no points up to this stage from the games that we played. And those stat experts out there are saying that we are bang where we should be. Is it fair, though? Are we trying to make excuses for Andoni Iriola? Can we compare what happened last year to this year? I think it's very different, isn't it, really? I mean, this time last year, we just lost 9-0 and Parker had gone, really. But I do think probably we have had harder fixtures this year and i do think i don't really buy into the baseline tracker you've just got to, it doesn't matter really how how quick you get the 38 points you just got to get them at some point in the season and it is a little bit of an excuse but there's plenty of time left and there's no need to panic yet fair play to josh that's his opinion and other people have come out with that as well david i am going to throw a curveball in there i mean I have used the baseline tracker not as much as other people, but I have used it as an example. But I'm going to throw a curveball in there, David. Last season, the head coach was able to pick Jeff Lerma for 37 Premier League games. That has to count for something. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've covered the lack of um, a replacement for Jeff at the uh, so far. And... Unfortunately, the the replacement that we did select is now injured for a for a long time, and we don't really have 
the choice now. We just have to find a way to plug that hole as best as we can and see what we can see what we can do until Adams is fit. And yeah, in January, see if we can get somebody as a backup or maybe even somebody to compete for his position. But uh, I mean, I don't think it took a genius to work out that Jeff uh, Jeff's absence was going to be was going to be felt this season. Yeah, it absolutely massively clear now. And Aaron Kay said that a few weeks ago on the stream. He said, I think he carried us. I think he carried us, John. Comparing the corresponding fixtures, I mean, ultimately, John, we'll find out after 38 Premier League games and some fans will be right, some fans will be wrong. That's life, though, isn't it? Like, you get some right, you get some wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I can understand Josh sort of being a, bit, a little bit blasé about the, um, or poo-pooing about the, the baseline tracker. and John uses it, enough. Josh, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just sort of like, because it, it's just another stat, essentially. Because XG is useless to a lot of people. Um, but it's it's you know in the same way that expected assist is barely looked at now, and I'm sure it'll be it'll be considered even more important in about five years' time. But it's just a way of saying you know where do you expect to get your points, and it's at home against teams that you should be getting results against. That's basically just what the baseline tracker does. But at the same time, you say that we were getting three points against Brentford with for with only three minutes of injury time playing we didn't get those three points so mm. that's massive and we should be doing better there and we didn't we played um everton at home which is a team that we should be competing against didn't get no, didn't get anything and that doesn't affect our baseline tracker figures but really it's a, it's it's a decent opportunity lost even if it is somewhat of a bogey ground for us so um yeah i uh it is it is as just said just about us getting the points on the board at some point and i Morgan mentioned it when he left in terms of talking about feeling that performances are going to be more important for people. I got to disagree massively. It, I don't care how bad the performance is now. I, we just need a win. And Donny Ariola massively needs a win. It doesn't matter how he gets it. He could be, it could be nil nil and then a 98th minute penalty, which I think we'd all love. Um, and then grab grab one, grab Nick a goal against, against Wolves to get that win because it was the same again with Parker. It, it was it was something I mentioned before we started the season, a Premier League season on the Parker, when the idea that he was going to completely change his and change our formation in the end, he played basically three different formations against the four matches. He needed the win in that first game to build the confidence in the players to say, no, trust mm. me, because this will work. Iriola has gone eight games now after at the start of the season saying, no, it's going to be new, but don't worry, it'll work. And you, on three points after eight games, no wins, the players will as much as I'm sure they're all committed, as much as Smith will come out, they're going to start doubting that this is necessarily the way to go at this point. Even if we all understand how difficult those fixtures were, at some point, you just need a win. However it comes, just get that win. I don't really care how. And then we can push on from there. That's the important thing. So, John doesn't mind if it's an ugly win, David. It's a big game on Saturday. We're going to be on Cherries in Focus on Thursday, 8pm UK time. Don't worry about a score prediction, David. Do you think we get a positive result at Dean Court against Wolves? Absolutely, and we, and we have to. I mean, these, these are the teams, according to the baseline tracker, that we have to uh, we have to pick up points against. So, um, regardless of whether we were in a decent position or a, or the position that we're in, we we have the ability to. But we've got to show that we've got the ability to um, break teams down, especially teams at home that aren't going to be attacking us. We just we, we have to win. And I think we've got as good a chance as any. 
Josh, we don't know what conversations are going on behind the scenes. And Doni might be under pressure. Bill Foley might have said to him, or the board might have said to him, you've got two games. If he's got two games, if that's what some fans think, for me, just go for it. Like, some fans have said there's no loyalty here. Like, he's been in the door five minutes. He hasn't got the full availability of the players he wants. But if, if it's that thin, I hope it's not that thin, but I can understand some fans feeling that way. If it's that thin, just go for it Saturday. Yeah, I'd hope that the motivation of Gary O'Neill is sort of enough for Andoni, sort of the old guy, beat him. You know, you don't want us to lose the guy they've sacked for you and then everyone's asking for him back. I mean... I think Saturday, the first goal is huge. Just getting the fans off their seat, getting them on our side and getting loud. I think, if I'm Andoni, I think you've got to want to excite the fans and because you want to get them on your side, especially at home. So I think just go for it. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I think the first goal is massive because this is going to be a, a wall side that's going to have a wall starting with Craig Dawson. And they are going to be hard to beat. And they've got these players with some absolute skill in Neto and Huang who are turning it on at the moment. So it's a massive game. John, final thoughts? Good stream. Good conversations. I mean, look, it's tough conversations. We've had a few streams like this where it's not great what we're talking about, but we're not winning football matches. We know once we get that first win, we go on a little bit of a run and conversations become a little bit more positive. We're a little bit more upbeat. That's what we need. But it's good conversations. We're just talking about where we are at the moment, different voices coming into the room. And, and I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I hope things do change pretty soon because we've had these conversations for the last few weeks as a few people so have put in the comments uh, that unfortunately we don't want these to get too samey. Um, but yeah, it's great to have some uh, some other fans on here. Um, I do think that is um a good chunk of the appeal of the channel is the number of different voices that we get on here. Uh, and thank you everyone for engaging in the comments. Please do. If you don't agree with us, please do put it in the comments as a lot of you have been doing, put your reasoning in there. Cause someone just turning up and saying, I disagree. And then running off is not helping any of us produce anything for you to, to generate conversation. So thank you for everyone that's, that's been on. Thank you for everyone that's been engaging in the comments and please do uh, keep, uh, keep yourselves posted on the channel. Steve Connor, final chat comment says what's a penalty i'll tell you what it is steve it's a penalty in the ted mac end in the 21st minute no idea why i'm giving you the minute but if it happens i'm a genius josh thank you very much keep up the good stuff josh is on twitter x whatever you want to call it nowadays thanks for coming on we hope you come on again at some point in the season have a good rest of your week and support the cherries as you will yeah thank you for having me on again always a pleasure and yeah great chat up the cherries yeah Cheers, Josh. Stay with us as we do the outro. David Podron from Australia. Absolutely love that. We've also had some really nice emails, by the way. Really good point to take this time to say that. Had some emails from a couple of people around the world, New Zealand, just telling us that he loved the channel, loved the conversations, loved the club. Um, love it. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the emails. David, thank you for taking the time to do this from Australia. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And we will be back on Thursday, 8 p.m. live on YouTube as we prepare for the return of Gary O'Neill and Wolves in a must-win, surely, crunch game on Saturday at Dean Court. Cherries in Focus, episode 14. And we'll definitely tell you, hopefully 100%, if John will be doing a watch-along on Saturday. Thank you to Morgan. Thank you to Simon. Thank you to Josh. Thank you to David. Thank you to John and myself. Thank you to you, the fans, for checking this out. Do hit the like button. Thank you if you listen to this on the podcast. Look after yourself between now and Thursday. 
We'll see you on the next one. Up, cherries.